Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this week's episode, Anna sits down with Joe and Aaron from Bison Trails. They're a validator infrastructure company. They talk about the latest proof-of-stake systems and what it means to be a validator in these systems. This week's episode is sponsored by Event Horizon. Event Horizon is going to be hosting an exciting specialized event in one of the coolest venues in Berlin on June 19th and 20th. I was there last year and it was a blast. This event is packed with everything you need to learn about how blockchain tech can impact the energy sector. It features the people making this happen, both from the engineers building the Ethereum-based energy web chain and the energy sector innovators looking to bring this tech into their industry. The goal is to explore how blockchain can change the way we generate, trade, track, and store energy for the better. If this is the focus of your work or a field of interest that you want to jump into, or if you're just looking for a really good blockchain event to go to in Berlin, you can use our special zero-knowledge discount at eventhorizonsummit.com slash zero-knowledge. I'll add the link in our show notes. We are also giving away two free tickets, so just ping us on Twitter or in our Telegram channel with the hashtag eventhorizon2019 for your chance to win these. Cool. So now, here's our interview with Bison Trails. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. How you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Same here. I'm doing quite nice. <laughs> All right. So I'm sitting here with the guys from Bison Trails. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about like validators and POS systems. Um, but why don't we start with quick intro to who you guys are and yeah, how you got into the space. Uh, I'm Aaron Henshaw and I'm the CTO and co-founder of Bison Trails. And uh, I'm Joe Laluz. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bison Trails. Um, and uh, Bison Trails is an infrastructure as a service uh, company focused on block production, validation, uh, infrastructure for participatory networks. So networks like, uh, you know, proof of stake networks like Cosmos and Tezos, uh, Polkadot and Decred and well, Decred's kind of hybrid, but uh, sort of all, all networks like that. Um, we work really closely with protocol teams um, and help them uh, in the early days of spinning up and running their test nets and helping them transition to domain nets. Uh, and we work really closely with custodians, exchanges, uh, digital asset holders, so token holders, enthusiasts, entrepreneurs that want to run their own uh, validators or block production nodes on these networks. Are you providing software that is for proof-of-work systems, or are you only providing software for proof-of-stake systems? Um, we currently do not and have no plans to provide mining software for proof of work. We do offer some infrastructure for proof of work networks like Ethereum right now, for example, but we don't offer the mining side of it. We just offer oh. the read write nodes for things like layer twos and dApps that need reliable infrastructure. And you do that on purpose. You actually have purposefully avoided that part. Yeah. Of it. I, I mean, the, um, the, the hash rates and the economics around proof of work do not allow for cloud infrastructure or software to really help you in any way, shape or form. So you would just lose money and it is like a very, uh, it would be a bad business. Um, proof of work miners are very specialized. They come from Bitmain mostly in China and they're high efficiency and they do just one thing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, there's no way to compete. 
And it sounds like philosophically it doesn't fit with what you want to do anyway. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, when we started working on this, we kind of asked ourselves like where our backgrounds can align with the industry and where we can help the most. And we have a lot of distributed software experience and infrastructure experience. And so um, building software for proof of stake and other consensus algorithms that are non-proof of work um, make a lot more sense. Well, how did you get interested in blockchain? I think like like a lot of the folks that we know in the blockchain space, we're just nerds. Like that's the 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 best answer I could give. I, um, there's a bit of like a little bit more interesting backstory there. So Aaron and I went to engineering school together. We both studied economics together uh, alongside engineering. Uh, a lot of our focus was in behavioral economics, um, and so. When we started looking as nerds, starting looking at the blockchain space, we got really excited because one, it's extremely technical, it's nuanced, um, you know, it, it's very, very interesting from a technology perspective, but also actually aligned with some of our interests around like game theory and behavioral economics and behavioral finance and psychology. Uh, and so as we started digging deeper and deeper into the space, we kind of fell in love with it. And uh, folks use like the term, I fell down the rabbit hole, which I actually kind of, <laughs> I don't really love it. Uh, but the truth is we kind of fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> That's so funny. So yeah, I definitely I definitely experienced a very similar thing kind of at the start of this podcast. I think around the time that we started doing this was around the time I was falling into it. Um, Joe, we actually have a funny little backstory. It turns out what we just realized this past week, we went to high school together. Indeed we did. <laughs> Indeed we did. And we, I, we weren't in the same grade. No, we weren't. But we weren't that far apart. <laughs> and, and we went to a tiny, tiny high school. A really tiny high school. In Montreal, Canada. Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Actually, I think you're the first person that I've met, in, in, on, honestly, in my life, that I didn't know prior, that, like in the wild, that I've met that went to my high school. Same. And I think it's pretty funny that we ran into each other here. In- yeah, it's, it's, un- <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, <laughs> anyway. But, yeah, the, the the best part about it was kind of like how you asked, you know, it was like, where are you from? Montreal. Oh, where? What part of town? <laughs> this part of town. Which school? And it got narrower and narrower and yeah. we realized we're two grades apart. Yeah. Um, okay, so I hear a little bit about like how you guys got into the space. Actually, yeah. there's something else about what you just said that really resonates. This idea of like falling down the rabbit hole, but then also trying to remember like what are the, what's the skill set that I have? Like there's all these protocol level things being built, this cryptographers, and those are not necessarily like fields of study that I had ever looked into before. But what did I have? What oh, yeah. could I bring to the space? In my case, like I'd worked in sort of a more media informational background with my old company, Videopath, which was like interactive video for content. And now I make content. Yep. about this really exciting thing with you guys what it sounds like is you were you're you're you've you've made startups you've done have you made startups <laughs> we have yeah <laughs> and you've made startups together we have made startups together i love the way i'm saying made startups <laughs> I, I actually really like it i think we're rolling with it okay, good. <laughs> i may continue to use that going forward too aaron and i have made startups together we've made a few startups together we've been making startups together for like 16 years actually wow um, this is uh it depends how you count a startup but this might be the 10th startup we're building together or the third <laughs> depends at what point it's an idea and what point it's actually a startup wow. yeah and so Given that, like you have all of this experience of building pieces of software, had you been working a lot in the open source space? Not really. 
You were no. more close source. Yeah, I mean, we worked in uh, e-commerce. We worked in social media. We worked uh, in in online gaming. Like we did quite a bit of stuff. Um, and the thing that was always the same is that we always built all the infrastructure and all the software that we stood up. And so we were heavily involved in the whole process. We're both software engineers. We're both very technical. Um, and yeah, like what you said, when we came into the space, we were like we probably shouldn't be designing new consensus algorithms. Mm -hmm. Like that is not where our skill set lies. And we actually, uh, if we like reflect back and we're honest, like we were really intimidated to get into the space at first. Um, and we like kept asking ourselves, like, what can we do here? Everyone's so smart. They all have PhDs. Like what use could we be? And a lot of the, if, if you're trying to build dApps or something, like the underlying tech isn't really there to do it super yep. effectively. And so you could play with it. Yeah. but. And that, those are the conversations we had. We're like, it's not ready for consumer stuff. Like, we can't build new ones. Like, what can we do? And no matter, we tried actually, like, to fight it. We tried. We thought about building an AI company or building something in the consumer space. And we just, like, it was this, like, rolling ball that we couldn't stop. Yeah. And yet you stayed interested. Because that's funny. Because, like, I'm surprised at myself, too. Like, early on, I had very similar feelings of just, like, not knowing where my place was. And actually, DevCon 3 in Mexico, I had such a, I had, like, this roller coaster of emotion of, like, oh, my God, this is fascinating. Oh, my God, it's kind of disgusting and scary. Like, it was full Lambo time, right? And it was, like, so part of it was terrifying. Part of it was awesome. Sometimes I was, like, I'm never going to understand this stuff. And even if I do, like, I'm not an engineer. What, what am I going to do here? Yeah. But I think that. I think what you guys have kind of landed on is that there is, there's like, there's things that are missing in, in this case, tools that are missing yeah. for the entire thing to like really go forward. And that's where you guys can actually use your skills because you don't necessarily, and I'm curious to hear a little bit about this, but like you don't necessarily have to be building like everything on chain. Oh, completely, completely. I, I also think like, you know, this idea, you know, and you touched upon it, Olsteo and Aaron touched on this, like, I think that blockchain, folks that are in the blockchain space and in the crypto space, uh, there's a ton of folks that like feel this sense of like imposter syndrome in the space, right? Because like, you know, th there isn't that many amazing cryptographers, there are there are some, but because it's such a, a, a you know, a, a bleeding edge um, technology ecosystem, it can be very intimidating to jump in. And so that that was very real, and like that was a, a conversation we had, and I think we were pretty nervous about it at first. Um, but the one thread that has kind of gone through almost every company that, or every project even that we've worked on, uh, it was was we've, we've always taken on pretty um, serious technical challenges and tried to make uh, it easier to engage with a specific challenge. And so. I don't really want to get into like the backgrounds of like previous companies or previous projects we've built, but that that's actually a thread that has been pretty common as a theme uh, amongst like the companies that we've built and the projects we've worked on. It's always like, whoa, this is super hard. We need to make it way easier for people to do this. Um, and those people could be developers, they could be consumers. Um, that's that's taken form in different ways as you know in different companies, but uh, that has been kind of a, a theme that that we've we've seen. And, and so blockchain was kind of ripe for that. And you, you're you're you kind of talked about it. You're like, you know, you could play with it. It's not really ready for prime time, but there was so much missing in between the protocols and the blockchains that were being built and the folks that really wanted to use them. So, you know, these, 
you know, folks were excited. Like we were excited to build on blockchains. And then we were like, wow, it's a real pain in the ass to build on the blockchain. Mm. So we, we've talked before about like tooling, but I think usually we talk about tooling in the sense of like tooling for protocol level development or building dApps. But what you guys are building, is it, is it interacting directly with a lot of blockchain blockchains or are you actually like building something that sits just outside it uh we are building something that sits outside of the blockchains that creates stuff that interacts directly with the blockchains so like would you have to like did you have to become proficient in smart contract we uh (laughs) i would say smart contracts are something that like we have not had to become particular proficient in, but understanding consensus, economic rewards, like participatory schemes, uh, network topologies, peer-to-peer protocols, like everything on the infrastructure side, everything that makes them tick, we have had to become subject matter experts in. Um, yeah. The, the smart contract side, there are interesting product features that we can build with smart contracts, we think, as we go down the line. But it's not something that we've actually had to spend too much time on yet. I want to kind of set the scene for what you're working on. And so we kind of defined it a little bit before, but you're focused mainly on, at this point, as far as I understand, like providing tools for validators. But let's take a quick step back for our listeners. Like, what is a validator? And maybe also explain proof of stake. Cool. So what is a validator? So I guess if we back up all the way, we can start with like proof of work, which is the way that Bitcoin incentivizes infrastructure. Um, And basically people create blocks and then they push them to the blockchain and they get paid if they're the ones who create that block. And so everybody is racing to try to get a block. And that's why everybody tries to do it because they make a lot of money. Um, But there's inherent problems with that around alignment, around speed, there's a lot of trade-offs. And so proof of stake has emerged. Yeah, so proof of stake really helps with speed and there's trade-offs around security. Um, But the hope is that it brings um, the adoption that people are looking for because like, for example, we saw with CryptoKitties and Ethereum, like the whole thing just fell over because it couldn't handle it. And so when is there gonna be that mass adoption moment if the blockchains can't handle the adoption? Um, And so proof of stake has emerged and what proof of stake is, is um, it's a new way to incentivize infrastructure for blockchains. Um, And instead of uh, proof of work where you have all these miners simultaneously trying to solve a hash function, you have people that are elected and and there's like many, many different schemes, but basically based on the amount of money that they put up, they are promising that they will behave rationally. And as long as they behave within the parameters of the network and uh, are good actors, they will get paid for being a good actor, for proposing blocks, for signing blocks, for voting on them. Um, and that is how the network is secured. So every block still pays a reward, just like in proof of work. And the actor you talk about is a validator. Yes, and that actor is a validator. Yeah, so that was back to the original question. <laughs> um, the actor is a validator. And so networks are built on, proof of stake networks are built on the backbone of validators. And there are, in some schemes, 21. And in some schemes, there's hundreds. In some schemes, there's hopes to be thousands or tens of thousands. Cosmos is one of the ones that has recently launched, and they have 100 validators on their main Cosmos hub chain. And that actually has 
the opportunity to have like hundreds or thousands of chains that all have different sets of validators. They could have anything from a single validator to a few hundred. Um, and then you have stuff like Polkadot. They have a different scheme where they want to have 10,000 validators. And then there's elections within each round to choose like subsets of those within different chains. Um, Algorand is one that has a similar scheme to that. So before we go too deep into yeah. the exacts, <laughs> the exact protocols, say I want to be a validator. What do I have to have to start? I kind of have to have tokens, don't I? Proof of stake in, in the very literal sense is like you are staking your you know, value, your value in the network. And so uh, most, it's hard to generalize around proof of stake because there are very different schemes uh, and sort of economic models and consensus mechanisms within proof of stake networks. Uh, but for the most part, it, the idea is like you put up money in some way, shape or form, some, some form of value. And you will be either rewarded or punished for being a good actor or a bad actor in that network. And the, the idea to be a validator uh, is you are one of those uh, actors. So you are the person uh, or entity uh, that is producing a block and adding a block to the blockchain, or in some cases, signing a block or endorsing a block or, uh, you know, the sort of the other activities that involve uh, securing the blockchain network. Um, but you you have to essentially put up value to be able to do that. So so there's kind of two pieces there. It's like one, you have to have some kind of value in the network you're working on. And two, you have to have uh, a good understanding of what that actually means to produce a block. And you have to have a good understanding of what it means to be a good actor. Uh, and you have and to do that three, well. you need good infrastructure. <laughs> you have to be able to spin up and run validation infrastructure and so that means running versions of the blockchains that you're supporting in different roles um doing it effectively doing it in a way that doesn't go down um doing it securely where you're protecting the keys and the tokens that you own as well as other people that you're working with and representing so what what we've defined right now is just like validators that there's three parts or three you kind of have said there's three things that you need and for a validator <laughs> those three things those three things were entirely made up on the spot <laughs> we do not have a list of three things you need to be a validator on like the wall anywhere but what i got from that was something like you need to have some token you need to have some sense of what's going on and you need to be able to like maintain some sort of infrastructure and i do know this that like most systems have something called rewards they don't, I don't know if they call them block rewards or some sort of reward, validator reward. And then they have something called slashing. So let's define what those two things are as well. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I would say the vast, vast majority of networks, especially public networks, have block rewards. And block rewards are the thing that a validator receives for being involved in the creation of a block. And um, that can mean that they get paid more for creating a block as opposed to like verifying a block. Sometimes it's all the same. Sometimes they just get money to show up um, and be part of the experience, whether or not they have anything to do with it. Slashing is sort of the reverse of that, which is what are the penalties for failing to perform your duties as the as a validator? So. Um, if you do something that's like adversarial or the the biggest most common one right now is double signing so 
it can actually be done just as a mistake, which is why you have to be pretty competent to be able to set these things up. If you sign two blocks and submit them, the, the same block twice and you submit it to the blockchain, like you will get slashed significantly in certain um, blockchains. And there's some people that are trying to work on things that will like reduce those and not to go too far down mm-hmm. the hole. But yeah, that's, that's the definition. So slashing is the punishment. Slashing is the punishment and it is the disincentive for behaving poorly and for, and it's the way that you ensure people um, that you try to ensure people spend a lot of time building strong infrastructure that protects against that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the sort, sort of the, the, the reasoning behind why you know slashing or disincentives exist is because of the negative effects they can have on future block production and can slow down a network to a halt pretty 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 badly uh if blocks are double signed and so that's why a lot of times i mean slashing is a pretty hot topic in the in the ecosystem as a whole um some networks do it some networks don't so is block rewards <laughs> yeah uh and so um but but i think like to to your point here, uh, those are the two things that you know that make up like the reasons why you would need you know to set up really robust infrastructure on a network as a validator, and why being a validator is actually hard. Right? One is the incentives, and two is the disincentives. Okay. And then I know that there's one other part to the sort of validation scheme that is like the delegation. So, say I own some tokens, but I don't have the time or capacity to set up one of these sort of like true validator nodes or yeah. the the infrastructure or I have bad internet connection or something like that, I can delegate. Yeah. So so delegation is the idea of basically choosing someone else to represent you as a block signer on a network. And so if I you know if I believe Aaron is really good at his job and being a validator and I have some value in a network and I want to participate in the network, I can say, Aaron, I would like you to take my tokens and essentially produce blocks on my behalf. Um, and not all networks have that set up, uh, but it is, it is a good way uh, to enable participation for folks that don't have uh, the technical ability to do it themselves. Okay. And so this is where, so that's, that's sort of where I'm curious about what you guys are doing. So you, as I understand it, are set, you've created tools to help validators validate. Have you also helped create tools to help delegate, delegates delegate? I don't think they're called delegates. Uh, token holders delegate? Are they delegators? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're delegate, maybe they're delegators. Um, that's, uh, that's actually a really good question. Tools to help validators validate often encompass um, some tools to help delegators delegate. Um, but I would say like we aren't, we haven't been explicitly focused on the experience for people to delegate. Um, and there actually are some tools that some teams are building in the ecosystem that are like, hey, here's a way to easily delegate to, you know, this this Cosmos validator. And then there's, there's a couple companies in the ecosystem that are doing a really great job of that. And they're building some sort of like user-facing tool, non-technical user-facing tools to do I that. I think what seems to be happening is it's ending up in wallets or something like that. Like somewhere where you're a token holder, it's on your phone, you can see it, you're non-technical and you can just like press a button. Yeah, the places that control assets, whether it's a wallet or a custodian or an exchange, they are building these delegation interfaces. Um, and yeah, like what Joe was saying is we really are primarily focused on the infrastructure side and running the things behind the validators and not really doing anything with the consumer side. 
say there was somebody who wanted to be a validator, they own tokens. How do they approach, how do they approach the process usually? Like, do the protocols not release tools that would allow them to validate? Isn't that like sort of part of the protocol's job? So it varies <laughs> widely. Um, and it, it's not even like a competency thing. I think that uh, it, their intent varies widely. Like some protocols believe that it should be hard and some protocols believe that it should be easy to be a validator. And so based on the opinions of the teams, you can see significantly different um, tooling to help validators spin up infrastructure and so the normal process for becoming a validator is like i'm technically proficient i'm interested in this blockchain or blockchains in general and i have a little bit of the token i'm going to go join their public channels and people talk on discord or they talk on riot or whatever thing and you just go in and say like where's the documentation and then you follow it and you spin up a node but but who decided that it's like the protocol's job to make sure that validators can validate? I think one of the things we've see, we're seeing is like a variance in opinions on how easy it should be, how hard it should be, how technical it should be. Um, and I, I think our approach, at least the way we've we've seen it, and, and we come from a place of like having, trying to build on a bunch of different networks. Like that's how the genesis of this company started. Like our company started because we were just trying to build and we we're like, damn, this is hard. And we've been engineers for, 15 years you know for longer whatever professional engineers for for 15 years this is tough um and so like i kind of always ask like it's not surprising that protocol teams aren't putting a ton of emphasis on the tooling around like making it easier to validate and sometimes that's opinion right sometimes it's a protocol team is like you know what we want it to be hard we want folks that are technically proficient to be able to do this so like it should be there should be barriers to entry um, and then sometimes they just don't have the time or the team and like they have so many things going on and they're working on really, really hard problems um, that, it, you know, it, it really becomes this question of like how far up the stack should a protocol team be building? And like, where does that sacrifice their promise to decentralization? Um, if a protocol team controls the protocol software and the stack all the way up to the infrastructure, then you have to ask, like, is it centralized or decentralized? You know, like another question there is like if a protocol makes the validator software so difficult and they themselves know it super well, do they not just put themselves and everyone who works very closely to them in a very strong advantage? And that's what that's what is ha has happened. Um, if you look at like a lot of the top Cosmos validators um, and like not to say this in a negative way, like they are a great team, they've done a great thing, but a lot of them are current or ex cosmos or tendermint employees and those people had a tremendous leg up on understanding the software how to build it and that's why they're at the top of the stake leaderboards I, I would just add to that and like to be entirely fair to the ecosystem that holds true for almost every single proof of stake protocol that we work with and that we've seen now, there's it's very rarely not the case at least like there are some validator teams that in somehow shape or form were connected to the protocol team early on like that it's I, I can't think of one that doesn't have that and i guess that kind of that sort of makes sense it's like when you found a comp like when there were small companies social media companies a lot of the employees were the first users of them like the people who have three digit twitter handles for mostly employees i don't know if that's really true but like you know it's you do get some benefits from being close to these early on and that's especially in like the protocol world especially in the fact that like these aren't vc backed they're not going to have equity that you're going to earn your tokens will have value potentially 
But the other benefit for like working on these projects for maybe crappy pay early on, depending on how good the ICO went, I guess, um, <laughs> is um, that you have access early. Yeah. And, you know, I would also like to just say one thing, which is like, it's very easy to look at the things that are happening now and be like, oh, this is why this isn't as good as it could be. But if you like look backwards and look at proof of work um, and how far we've come, even like having five people from Cosmos become separate validators and having another 10 non-Cosmos people run 10 other validators that are pretty big is a way more decentralized than having one or two companies make every single ASIC miner and having five mining pools make up 95% of the hash power. But I mean, it didn't start that way, right? Like that was a process that got to that point. And I think that's actually something I'm curious about what you guys think, like, what is the validator community like right now? Do you think that they could become consolidated? I mean, so, so, well, well, <laughs> well <laughs> predict yeah. the future for me, yeah. will ya? I mean, <laughs> we have opinions on these things. I, I mean, given the the position that we're in, we definitely have opinions on these things. I, I I think there's two things that are super important in that question. One, it is so early in in any of these networks' lives, right? If you're thinking about like, you know, any kind of protocol that we currently use on like internet old internet you know web 2 whatever um they're they're those protocols are old they've been around for a long time so like i can't even imagine what like you know http was in year one <laughs> you know like, i don't know and I, I might have been around though <laughs> no i'm just kidding apparently um, me too yeah <laughs> we've already revealed our <laughs> proximity and age uh, <laughs> yeah Ooh, sorry um yeah so it's it's really really early, so I think like the ecosystems are mostly enthusiasts. I think the validator communities right now are very good intended, very good willed folks that are either you know like we said close to a protocol team and really excited and really excited about what's going on. Um, but I also think that there is uh, kind of like behind the scenes movement for some of these larger digital asset holders to enter into the validator game. And I think we're seeing we're we're seeing that now. I don't think that's like something we'll see in six in six years. You know, I think it's something we'll see in like six to twelve months. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. And this, what you're talking about here, are like some of the big, maybe institutional or somewhat institutional investors, the whales who got in early, own a ton of token, and now just set up like some personalized validator setup so they can take that money and make more with it. Yeah, and I think you know. Um... Polychain is doing it on Cosmos. They're like the top validator if you include all of their validators. Um, and yeah, I the, I think the bigger thing is really not with the funds and the large funds. It's the longer term when you think about custody and fidelity and Vanguard and the people that, you know, even like, you know, Coinbase custody maybe. Like when they accrue 50% of an asset, because they're the safest, best way to hold it. What happens when they run the validators or they're the ones voting? And that's like a question that I don't have an answer for, but, uh, so there's like a, a, a you know, a, an ethos question here of like, are we actually changing the way folks, you know, financial freedom? Are we changing the way folks custody is self custody a real thing? Like, is that actually going to happen? Is our blockchains and cryptocurrencies going to enable people to keep actually keep control of their finances 
And I think that that, that is still a TBD, right? It's clearly like a, a, a goal of the ecosystem. There's lots of folks that are trying to make that happen. But we are seeing trends to kind of move away from that. Like big custody providers do exist. Um, and so when we, you know, the way we think about this is one of the most important things to make sure that, you know, it isn't just like one large custody provider that's making 50% of the decisions on any network is to make it way easier for there to be lots of people to make decisions on the network. And that was, again, like not to, you know, push too hard on like why we started this company, but that was a lot of the, the, the mind, mindset behind it was like, if we make this easier, more people will do it. We can actually try and realize uh, a true, you know, decentralized and self-sovereign uh, financial system. So when you're building, you're building the tools, you're building some tools that maybe a less, slightly less sophisticated user um, could actually use to validate. Are you, are you going to maintain them? Like where uh, the question I have here is like, what are you exactly providing? Are you providing the validator node? Are you providing like a secure connection? Yeah. So, um, you know, like the really like high, high level, like marketing sort of thing here is we provide a, a one click uh, deployment platform for validation nodes. And so what that actually means is you literally can click one button and quite frankly, it's like click a button and fill out a couple of pieces of information. Um, and you can run a geographically distributed cloud provider independent uh, node cluster on any protocol that we support. And so we support a few and we're making it a lot easier to add new protocols. So as far as what that actually means that we provide, um, we provide all the things you just mentioned, which is like the node itself, um, all of the security that goes around running a node, all of the optimized connectivity that round, uh, that revolves around running a node, um, and then all of the sort of safety and redundancy and all the things you would want to make sure that you're hitting, and you know, the, the, sort of hitting the two things that we talked about earlier, which is like you're getting rewards, you're signing blocks efficiently, securely, and you're not having any downtime or uh, doing any double signing or any other bad actor work in the network. So that that's what we do. And it's it ends up being, uh, you know, leveling the playing field, essentially saying to someone like, you want to do this, but you can't do it because you don't have a team of like six infrastructure engineers and a DevOps person and three security people feels not, it felt not right to us. It felt like this should be possible to do for anybody who believes in Cosmos or Polkadot or you know, Ethereum beacon chain, you know, why shouldn't I be able to take the 40 ETH that I have and sign blocks? And in, 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 a, in a funny way, like proof of work and the big proof of work mining companies have actually made it pretty accessible to like mine blocks. Like you can go on Bitmain's website, click a button, get a mining machine and plug it in somewhere. Let's just like ignore profitability right now. Like you know, all the other elements that go into like running proof of work mine, mines. Um, but they've made it easier. And so people can actually participate in the networks they believe in. And so I can run a Bitcoin mine, mining machine if I want, or, you know, some Ethereum mining machine if I want, because I believe in it. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of saw, I guess, like some, some similar tr sort of similarities there. But were you, I mean, did you want to be Bitmain? Well, there's like there's like three there's like three questions baked into that question. Do we did we want to be Bitmain? Definitely not. We did not want to be Bitmain. Um, we're 
we're like for sure a mission driven company. And I know that sounds like baloney, but the truth is like we are. We as individuals were mission driven. Like we got into this. We didn't look at this as like a money making opportunity. We looked at it as like, how can we have impact on something we truly believe in? Um I mean it was an accident that we're here. Yeah, like we true. we were doing some proof of work stuff and in our spare time we were playing around with these networks before we understood the implications of their inflation schemes and validation infrastructure. We just like showed up in the chat rooms and like spun stuff up. Um it was purely like out of curiosity and yeah. like nerdness. <laughs> <laughs> so what you've basically said though is like if I want to be a validator using some of your tools, I can do it and I don't necessarily have to delegate. I could actually potentially validate on my own and I could get other people to delegate to me. I don't know if that's as easy, but like it is. Do you think <laughs> like is there is there any downside to having lots of validators? Uh, well, I think there's like some nuance in uh, some of the consensus protocols don't really allow for more than a few hundred yet. Um, and I guess th I think like having less and having more deliberate ones and having more individual like sovereign groups working on it is to promote decentralization. And so the more individuals that are separate that control decision making for that individual validator and its delegation the more that you have out like spread governance and that you don't have these big pockets of single decision and then also the geographic spread and uh that that increases the reliability of the network and the security of it as well because you won't have if you had every validator in one data center and then the power went out for that data center your entire network goes down. And so that's like an extreme example. Or if that data center is assaulted by people with machine guns that go pull out the hardware keys to take the keys away and steal all your tokens, you wouldn't want that. So you want more. But what you just described is like the pros of having lots and ease of use. But what are the cons? Oh. Like what what could be... What is the argument against it? And actually, I I can maybe hint at an argument against it, and that would be like because the validators are also sometimes like the governing bodies, or they have votes, they have some decision making in like how the protocol is developed, how certain decisions are made, what's allowed, what's not allowed, and then could there be a fear that like you'll have a lot of very untechnical people who are validators and voters looking at issues on Twitter, not fully understanding them and making votes? I mean, what you're saying is totally possible, right? It's true. Um, I think that if I were to like take a step back and say like philosophically, am I aligned with that? I, I mean, the way I think about this is that the technology barrier or at least the operational technology barrier shouldn't be enough to stop someone from being able to make protocol or, or decisions about, uh, you know, something as important as, uh, you know, a transfer of value or, or a store of value network. Um, and so I think you actually have to disconnect or separate out like technical operational ability and understanding. And I think those are, there's tons of people that would have no idea how to operationally run a validator, but understand the economic and, you know, uh, societal impact of making a 2% inflation change on like the US dollar or some stable coin or some other cryptocurrency. And I think that separating those two out are very important. It's they're not the same, right? So someone who's like validating is participating in the network, but you could actually understand these systems really well without knowing how to run 
geographically distributed, super secure, redundant mm-hmm. nodes. I see your point there. So the idea here is like, it might actually be really good to have a lot more participants who understand but wouldn't have the technical, like, actually like DevOps skills to run the thing. Um, you can tell me this, actually, like, not every system has staking and voting as the same thing, right? Yeah, that's right. So, like, there are there's different schemes for that as well. What are you seeing, like, maybe give me some examples where governance and, like, voting rights are, are tied to staking. I mean, like, where you can't vote yourself? No, where, like, your stake is your vote. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, Cosmos works that way. There's a lot of other networks that are coming out that work that way. And, and what that means is you might be running the infrastructure as a validator. You might be running the infrastructure for me. And so I'm benefiting from that by getting rewarded. But when a decision comes up in the network, I can actually make a different decision than what my validator makes. Like I can override their vote. So if I really disagree and I'm a major stakeholder, I can promote that. Um, I also think like governance, you know, someone said this on a panel, I think it was Zachy from Cosmos, like the whole thing is an experiment. And so like, we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and it's like very exciting and, uh, it's very hard. Uh, I personally, um, don't love to try to predict the future. Like it's part of actually why we're probably doing what we're doing is we're like agnostic to a lot of the things that are going to win. Um, because we just don't know. And there's like a lot of smart people building a lot of really great technology out there. I'm curious though, like, so with your system where you help people spin up validator nodes, you call them validator nodes? Uh, participation infrastructure, just because they have different names, Uh, like on Tezos, it's a baker. Okay. On Cosmos, it's a validator. On Lifepeer, it's a transcoder or an orchestrator. They're the participation is like the blanket term. Okay. Yeah. So you help them spin these these things up but like what happens to the voting so like say you're dealing with cosmos and you have you've like you've created the ability for me to participate but do you get the vote then or do i get the vote like what is there any sort of i'm just curious if you guys also do you enable tools to help vote so our participatory infrastructure um, passes voting rights on to the people that are running it. We as a company have no like control over that and we don't want to. Um, like some people view their participation infrastructure and their tokens as like their board seat on a network. And so they take it very seriously and like an explicit ask of them is to be able to vote. Um, with full delegation, we can actually um, make it so they can vote separately, like using their cold wallet or their hardware wallet um and they don't have to do it through us does that make sense yeah okay do you i mean do you hold any of the i I understand that you provide the software but i'm just curious like where does the staking do you own any of it do you do you yourselves do you get to be stakers validators Uh, us individually or us as a company you as a company so as a company we work really closely with protocol teams like we're a very technical company um we're heavily indexed on engineering in particular like infrastructure and blockchain engineering Um, so we work really closely with protocol teams um and our vision for aligning with protocol teams is actually running bison trails validators or participation nodes in each of the networks that we support and for us what that means is that we as a company are helping support the networks through participating and, and 
voting and, and all the things. Um, we also use our own platform to to do that. It's like a way of dog fooding your product. And I don't know if that's a dated term now. I feel like that's like uh, my friend Jenna from Melonport called it drinking your own champagne, which was a lot prettier. Wow. That is. <laughs> that is <laughs> she actually said it on this podcast. Like, yeah. Drinking your own champagne. Well, I wish I could call what we have champagne. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I'll just keep calling it dog food, although I do like that expression a lot better. Um, you know, in all in all seriousness, like we use our own technology to run our own validation. And um, for us, it's a way of like showcasing what we do to the ecosystem, to the community. Um, we do a lot of work with protocol teams uh, to help them in like very what we call non-scalable ways. So we like help them with like decision making around uh, token distribution or even like how should they be thinking about like transfer keys and participation keys. Like, you know, we, we've actually helped a lot of teams do those kinds of things. Um, some teams we actually run community nodes for them. So they'll use our infrastructure to run community nodes. And we do stuff like uh, give all of the participation rewards back to those open source communities in the form of like GitHub bounties or, you know, issue bounties, those kinds of things. So, so um, you are going to act as validators. Yes. But you also like if I validate using your technology. Yes. Does that go into your validator pool? No. So it's separate. Yeah. So you could run the zero knowledge validator on Cosmos. And you wouldn't have to be hyper technical to be able to do that. And you can zero knowledge could have decision making on a protocol like Cosmos or Polkadot that you believe in um, without having to have a 10 person engineering team. That's pretty cool. Would you do it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we should start the zero knowledge validator right here on this podcast episode. But even if I wanted to do that, would I need to have tokens? Yes. <laughs> um, so in some cases, you need as little as one token. In order to set up a validator, you need to usually like write some transaction saying, I'm now a validator, and that costs a little bit of token to pay for a transaction, and it costs a little bit of token to like stake to yourself. But in uh, like fully delegated schemes, then you can just get only other people to delegate to you. You don't actually have to have any skin in the game, as people refer to it. Wouldn't it be really cool if you could run a zero-knowledge validator on a bunch of networks you cared about, and your listeners, because they believe in what you do and in your opinions, could then delegate to your validators? That is what I'm wondering. Do validators then become like branding plays? I mean, like how cool you are. That's who you decide to delegate to. It could be how cool you are. It could also be how good you are at making decisions for the long term success of the ecosystem. <laughs> That's a little bit more uh, mature than my reasons. Okay. But also how cool you are. Like that, that helps too. I mean, like, you know, that matters. Right now, there's so I know we just talked about this idea of like, Right now it's really friendly. Right now it's but it it does seem like the validator scene and like being a validator, it's very it's very unclear what those entities will be. A lot of people are saying like, oh, it'll be like the mining pools. But I think a lot of people don't want that to happen. Um, do you think that does this do you think that like actually by allowing more people to become validators, you're preventing that? Or I mean, if we have anything to say about it, it won't become like the mining pools. Like our we are, as a company, trying to build against that. We're trying to make it easier for lots of people to be able to do it. And proof of stake as 
I mean, I don't know, I'm generalizing, but a lot of proof of stake networks uh, allow for that if you can actually, if you have the know-how to to deploy a validator and to, to be a validator. So we're trying to bridge that gap. Um, you know, obviously some, you have to have enough stake to, to be a validator. So, you know, not all, of, this doesn't work for every network, but but really we are trying to make it way more accessible. That's that's our, like, our vision here. It's like, make it super easy um, for folks to run validation and run participation uh, on these different networks. So one of the things that I think has been brought up is a slightly, I don't know if it's controversial, but like something that's not clear about like the validator's behavior is even though I think we see a lot of altruism or like teams, validators who are super positive, they have delegate, they have people who've delegated stake to them in order to stake it. And really they're looking for return. The incentives are make me money. And if the validators can take up more share, they are incentivized to do that. And so it almost sounds like there's forces working against each other. There's like, yes, there's the health, health of the entire network, but like the day-to-day motivations are more like take as much stake as possible. And also like eventually, maybe not now, but eventually could be also like screw over my competitors. So it's almost like how can a validator actually be incentivized to act ethically in that scenario? I th- I think if they're long-term players, they are inherently incentivized to act ethically. Um, in proof of stake, there's these like jump points where if you control 33% of the network, and you would then be able to halt the network. Um, and if you control 67%, you can like f- do all sorts of terrible things. But 33% being the first barrier, if any validator started to approach that in a significant fashion. Um, it wouldn't just be bad for the other people on that network. It would be bad for them and all of the assets that they hold. It risks like putting that entire network and all of the value that it's created at risk. So while staking does bring 5% or 7% rewards, that's significantly less than a hundred percent of all of the value that you currently hold in that asset. Mm. Um, and so I think the network would self-correct in a way where you would see people move off of, and I, you know, I think that there's like research and discussion going on in a few different validated validation forums around this, where uh, disincentivizing um, like stake being accumulated too much behind one validator or in one region um, by more penalties for uh, a ton of stake going offline at the same time. So. Oh, Are man. you also with the thirty three percent? Is that Cosmos specific? Is that all? Be it's it's, uh, it's Byzantine fault okay. tolerant. So it's more general than that. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's a great fun. It's more general than that. Accidental. B- B- BFT puns. Um, but but I think like uh, I, I think you know there there you know there's that game game theory again and like there's that behavioral economics again like coming into play right like we're very passionate about this um but these are all experiments like quite frankly like a lot of these networks are still experiments and so um what we at least will have find have found and i think we'll continue to see this is that no matter there is no perfect system and no matter what on-chain governance rules we make or or changes we make to the protocol people will humans will find ways to game the system um and so there is like what aaron was saying there's this like greater value right so it's like 
you can have folks start to approach like the dangerous levels of control over a network, but as they get too close to that, they are less incentivized to actually increase their AUM or increase their their voting power in the network. And I'll, I'll say it again, I think it's still a question of usage. Um, like, if there's no usage, then there'll be no value. And the, the biggest thing that proof of stake does is it uses economic value to protect the network and provide security. And so if the barrier to someone buying 33% of the network and spinning up a validator and halting a chain is really, really high, like hundreds of billions of dollars, that is a very secure network. Um, but if it's like, it would take me $10 million in one click on some platform to like spend a validator and attack this network, you could have people from one network attack another network using like selling some tokens and then spending a validator and halting it. And then, so if like that, that would be one of the, the, the interesting like disincentives to make it easy to be a validator is that like, it actually creates another barrier to be adversarial or be malicious in a network is that it actually takes time and effort to set up validation. So like, let's just say a large investor really was a, was a huge, you know, investor in Ethereum and really hated, I don't know, Cosmos. I'm I'm not picking on anyone specifically. These are random examples. Like, couldn't they then go and use like a one-click platform and put a ton of money behind a validator and act maliciously? Yes, but if the network was used a ton and there's demand for the tokens and there's a ton of value behind it, they wouldn't be able to because it's too expensive. And I think that's what proof of stake really is. And then, and you know, there's also unbonding periods and there's other like things that are built in to prevent like very quick switching of stake and movement. Do you think, Uh, is that why there's often like validator limits early on? Or like, at least as I understand, it's not always like those are going to be limits forever, but they're like starting with limits. I guess I don't know the answer to that, if I'm being honest. I think that part of the answer is definitely around consensus and um, effectiveness. Like, uh, you know, I think the Tendermint stuff isn't necessarily proven past a few hundred uh, validators. And so starting with 100 is super safe because they know that the latency will work like the the group of validators can come to a decision very within six seconds and post a new block um so i think some of those numbers are really around the consensus i do also wonder like early on in networks i mean also when it was proof of work like the attack surface on an early network is super big right it's like so it's so much easier to ruin a a young network than something that's been established and has a lot of users and and with the validator i mean this is why proof of stake and releasing proof of stake protocols has been sort of fascinating to me like the test nets and like what they the way that you have to imagine like rolling them out at first Oh, oh yeah and like we've we work really closely with a bunch of teams that are going through that process and it's cool it's actually been fun because we because we're sort of like protocol agnostic we've um, seen it happen on a bunch of like so many protocol teams are really heads down building their protocol, building their blockchain, and they should be. Uh, we've given like cross ecosystem advice and like thoughts, and um, but but that's it has to be it has to be that way, right? Like it's normal that those early networks are have very large um, attack surfaces. And again, like getting not not to let Aaron you know beat a dead horse here because he's going to talk about usage again. But that's the tr- that's that's really what it is. If people don't use the networks, the value of the network isn't that high and then if inherently if the security of a network is tied to its economic value then it's it's not secure unless people use it Mm. like right now people it probably wouldn't be that hard to attack cosmos maliciously 
But just the real question is like, why would you? It would be hard because there's no liquidity of the token and there's a very long unbonding period. And so they've taken a lot of steps to protect themselves. Um, Like it would be really hard to attack Tezos because it's like almost 100% bonded. Like that's crazy, but. But how hard would, would it be to attack Cosmos versus attacking Bitcoin? Well, yeah, way easier. Yeah, I mean, like, you could OTC, like, buy, if you had, I don't know, a few billion dollars, you could OTC buy, like, the top five validators and shut down the chain. I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, yeah, it's, you can't do that with Bitcoin. Okay, so you have, let's go back to the project. Let's go back to Bison Trails, spinning up these validators, validator nodes or participation nodes, and giving a lot more people a chance to validate. What about security on that front? Like where do you got, do you must have, you have the infrastructure set up somewhere. How do you guarantee that security? Like what's, what are you doing? So it's, it's a very good question. Um, it's something that we think about every day. Um, I would say that we are like a security company first and we're an infrastructure company second. Um, we, spend a great deal of time taking care of the keys that we use on networks. Um, what we are very careful to do is not be custodial. We are a non-custodial solution, so we don't take custody of tokens. We uh, do not hold them for people. We do not like secure the tokens. What we do secure is we secure the signing operations and the verification operations that occur through validation infrastructure. Um, so we there's a lot of different uh, schemes that exist on the, so in a, in every part of these conversations, it's like every network is different. So every network's different, but generally speaking, um, you want to use best practices that actually exist in industry, right? Like for, uh, people who generate SSL keys, like those, uh, certificate authority keys are like heavily guarded and heavily protected. So we use stuff like hardware HSMs, cloud HSMs. We use, uh, HashiCorp's vault. We've built wrappers around those things. We have very strict protocols around, uh, what keys move in and out, who has read access, who has write access, like how we partition things. And so I guess that's like a lot to say that we just think about it and we take it very seriously because, Leaking keys, especially keys that can create slashing conditions, is another attack vector. Um, And so if we are running a Cosmos validator for someone and someone else gets their key, they can constantly double sign willy-nilly and literally just destroy. Yeah, they would be slashed. We do take like a modern approach to security, which is that like no security is absolute. Um, and that you essentially have to build in as many layers as possible and as many and reduce attack vectors and you know attack surface area as much as possible. Um, we work really closely with some incredible people in, this, in the security world um, that we've worked with in the past. Um, I won't call them up by name because they're security people, so they don't like that. Uh, but but you know the truth is like it's it, like Aaron said, it's something that we take extremely seriously. And um, even though we actually don't have access to transferring anybody's assets ever from a security perspective, we act as if we could. And and what Joe was saying is like the philosophy is all about how much more expensive can we make it for someone to attack us? And so we want people to pass us up to go to the cheaper option. And that's always what we're focused on. Cause there is, if anybody ever tells you something is a hundred percent secure, like they're definitely not uh, in touch with reality. like it can't be because there's always something that someone could spend some amount of money to attack you in a certain way except for zero knowledge Uh, well okay (laughs) 
there's cryptographic things that are really awesome. Yeah. Um, but I mean, from like, uh, the way that we function in the normal world. Got it. Um, I actually was wondering now, like, do you open source a lot of what you're working on? It, and where are you at actually in the project? Yeah. So, um, so we have been, uh, so we've been running infrastructure, production infrastructure for a, a number of these different protocols. Uh, I should say our production infrastructure, but some of these protocols are in testnet still. Um, and then for a bunch of the ones that are in mainnet as well, uh, live for many months with a bunch of alpha customers. Uh, and then um, we're in the process right now of uh, sort of expanding that out to closed beta. Um, so folks that we um, have known for some time uh, or gotten to know over the last few months that have uh, you know a lot of interest in what we're doing. Um, and so we're, we're, we're kind of ramping up uh, you know, quickly but cautiously, I guess is what I would, the way I would call it is like, you know, we want to make sure that we're being really, really thoughtful about uh, how we deploy new infrastructure in these different networks. And are you going to open source what you're working on? Yeah, so we're uh, we're definitely going to open source portions of what we what we what we're doing, and and um, this this comes back to like just a fundamentals like ethos aligned vision and mission for the company. Um, we do think that like anything that uh, is, <laughs> I don't make me say it. <laughs> we have we have this we have this like really corny saying in the company where it's like if it runs on the node, we should open the code it's like so 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 corny but the idea is that you know quite frankly that if you if we're if if we're essentially running something on your behalf uh in any way shape or form it should be auditable um you should be able to see it you should know what is actually running um and so uh, we we think we you know we've built some really interesting intellectual property as a company um because you know we're not a a foundation or a nonprofit. we are you know a for-profit company uh, but we also think that we uh, should open source a whole bunch uh, of what we're doing. And so we haven't open sourced anything. We're still working on the strategy there. We're getting there. We, we've open sourced a couple of like small libraries and some scripts we've written. We're getting there. Cool. Are you, are you also doing, like, would you need to do audits as well? Like, is that part of your, like, you, are you getting checked? Are you? Yeah, we um, have to undergo uh, security audits for especially for certain customers. Um, we do regular pen testing um, with some companies in Europe, and yeah, we have to hold ourselves to a pretty like high standard of security, and so that requires auditing and, and regular penetration testing. Cool. What's the next steps for you guys? I mean, the next steps for us are just to like humbly support the ecosystem. Like, I, I don't. There isn't like a real true like next step like vision for us it's like we're continuously adding new protocols to the platform so we're working like adding new teams that we work with really closely um we're uh adding new customers as well so folks that want to run validation and so those two things take a tremendous amount of work we still truly believe that it's very early in this in this ecosystem and so we're trying to like stay humble stay focused build an incredible technology platform and build a really great product and honestly like build a cool team and have fun doing it too like that's those are things that like we actually care about <laughs> so cool. all right well thanks so much for being on the podcast thank you so much for having us um really serendipitous to find out that we went to the same high school yeah yeah same here thank you very much this has been great very cool and to our listeners thanks for listening <laughs>